0: The big inside is a proud supporter of Give Strength. The fitness industry generates billions of dollars a year, literally. But while companies get rich, all that money rarely goes towards anything outside the industry. And right now there's a lot of causes in the world that could use that strength. That's where Give Strength comes in. Give Strength empowers athletes in all types of lifting sports to generate fundraising towards causes they truly believe in, raising awareness and funding through the enthusiasm for lifting and strength sports participation. Through exciting events, challenging social campaigns, and good old school lifting, Give Strength is changing the flow of money in the fitness industry towards causes that matter. Meanwhile, Give Strength allows athletes to earn true financial sponsorship. That's right, cash money directly towards your own personal progress in the sports you love just for being a leader and generating funding for causes you believe in. Give Strength is changing the game of strength and bodybuilding one life at a time, one dollar at a time, one cause at a time. Get involved and learn more at givestrength.net give strength how your strength gives strength
1: on this edition of the big inside we learn how to hammer a nail using only your femur while simultaneously saying words that i can barely pronounce plus string instruments ah the next workout for your ears begins right now it's another monday night somewhere
2: wait wait that doesn't make any that doesn't make any sense I guess it's time once again for The
1: Big Inside. Broadcasting from the world-famous Public Alley 701 in the hyperlax, insured city of Boston, Massachusetts. Whoa. I'm Christian Matey, a.k.a. XN, and this is The Big Inside, intersecting and reconnecting what transforms the body with what transforms the world, and then turning them both inside out to try to figure out what's practical, what's personal, and what just makes the most sense. We're all about the conversation, not the education, but with our luck, you're probably going to end up learning something along the way. And and before we do anything else, I want to take a second to thank two very important people, Will Alessia and Kyle Franklin, a.k.a. Chicken Little who are these gentlemen who who is Will and Kyle they are two of the newest patrons supporting the show we're so grateful that these two dudes went over to our patreon.com page Uh, I mean I mean they went over separately I mean maybe they went over together I don't know maybe they know each other secretly and I don't think they do but whatever so grateful that they went over to our patreon.com page and joined in the effort to help keep this podcast rolling and in fact and I can say without an iota of hesitancy that right now Kyle and Will are easily among my favorite listeners right now. Yeah, yeah, I'm a little jealous, like knowing that you are not one of my favorites right now. Well, look, I want you to be my next favorite listener. It's easy to do. I'm I'm so easy to please. Very low maintenance. Look for you listening right now. You specifically. You pause. You. I yes. I have transcended technology and i'm speaking into your ears you specifically just think for a second how often do you go out and grab like a coffee or similar transportable beverage every week every day every other day most days like and what do you throw down for that coffee like three bucks or four bucks or even five bucks and it's it's something basically forgettable like you don't remember it within hours after drinking it well you would gladly spend that much on me wouldn't you Uh, You'd you'd easily buy me that cup of whatever, right? I mean, yeah, we're buddies, right? You'd do that for me. And if you did, you'd totally become one of my favorites. It's that easy. You would literally beat out Will and Kyle. And isn't that what life is all about, beating Will and Kyle? Isn't that, like, really what life is leading to? You want to be more favorite than Will and Kyle? Well, that kind of sweet domination is easy, guys, because it only takes a few bucks. The equivalent of what you're just throwing away on beverages— to become a patron of the show at patreon.com slash the big inside. So in addition to thanking my current favorite listeners, Kyle, who, who by the way, is built like a genetic hybrid of a pit bull and a tornado put on steroids, and Will, who who will basically, I mean, he'd make you hide your spouse lest they melt into his aesthetic power. Just I, I just wanted to take a second and remind you <laughs> that on top of thanking them, You should head over to patreon.com slash the big inside and support the show. I mean, you're enjoying it. Why not become my new favorite? Patreon.com slash the big inside. Help me out. Okay. Okay. Now enough announcements, enough pitching and punting on to the meat of the act. It's the big deal segment of the show. Okay. So this episode, uh, this one's probably going to make you rethink literally like what you do on a daily basis. And it was a conversation that actually I had a lot of fun, probably more fun than I should have had. It was a lot of fun, um, but it. It kind of, you know, it shook me. It kind of reframed how I think of music and how I think of the body, but in a cool way, like cool shook. Uh, and, And also there's just like a lot of viola in this. So if you like the classical instruments, you're going to be in heaven this episode. All right. It's the big deal on the big inside. Let's have a listen. Let's tune things up. What are you doing right now? Like literally right this second. What are you doing while you're listening to this podcast? Are you at work? Are you sitting at a desk with headphones in your ears or whatever? Are you driving? Are you driving right now? Maybe Maybe you're like on a highway, maybe on your evening commute home or something. Or are you exercising? Like on a treadmill at a gym or something? Or maybe you're jogging outside? What are you doing? Are are you standing? Are you sitting? Are your shoulders hunched over? Or are you aligned, all tidy in an upright posture? Good old spine and all that? Are your thighs, are they tensed? Or are you totally curled up in some weird position? Just, Just pause a second. Do a, do a quick check for me. What, what exactly are you doing with your body right now? Think on it. Now, think a little bit more. Think, how often am I doing this thing, this thing I'm doing right now? How often am I doing this thing every month or every week? Or, or are you doing this thing every day? The position you're in right now? Where are your elbows and are your feet crossed and all that? Is this how you spend a lot of your time? And if not, start thinking about what is the position you spend most of your time in? Like I mentioned driving earlier, uh, how many hours a day are you in the car? And be honest, how, how many hours are you in that car seat with one hand over here, like maybe on the wheel, and then one hand over there on the stick or on a cup of coffee or I don't know just dangling off to the side maybe your shoulders tilt a little to the left you know when you drive or maybe your your hips are lopsided a little to the right and and maybe your knees are splayed outward and maybe one foot is always a little bit off center but the question isn't what position you take when you're driving all that time the question is how much time do you spend in that position while driving Is it a total of one hour a day, two hours, more? And then add up all those days, all those hours from every day for a week or a month, all those trips to the grocery store, all the visits to friends and the commutes to work. It comes up to be a pretty big number, a pretty long time, a good percentage of life in that one position. But we're just talking about driving here. Maybe you don't drive at all. Maybe you work at home or work nearby your home, but whatever job you got, you're probably doing the same thing over and over at some point. Maybe you stand a lot. Maybe you sit a lot. Maybe you you use the mouse a lot, or maybe you carry something. But whatever it is you do for work, whatever it is you do with your days, you're probably repeating the same position or motion endlessly, hour after hour. And it all adds up. Most of our life spent in one position. So what are you doing right now? I mean, what are you doing other than being nagged to figure out how many hours you spend in one position? It isn't really something we usually think about at all. It's, in fact, something we just kind of put out of our head. We just go through our day doing the thing, however many hours, and forget about it. Most of us have the luxury to not even think about it but you kind of had to see this coming. Some of us don't have that luxury and have to think about how we move every day.
3: So I have, um, I have hyperlax ligaments. So everything just dislo- hyperlax ligaments. Um, oh. so basically everything on me dislocates really easily. Wow. Uh, all my joints dislocate really easily. Um, so, uh, my pediatrician said to my folks when I was tiny, tiny said, um, uh he's super flexible he can never do contact sports otherwise he'll be in pieces all over the field oh by the way this is drew okay so uh my name is drew richardi uh i'm a professional viola player yeah yeah you, you got that right
1: a professional a viola player yeah. Oh God, we're going so classy today and i know what your first question is going to be i mean before anything else oh, you know what a violin is but what the hell makes a viola different from a violin You know, I'm I'm probably the stupidest person involved with the show, but they're only marginally above me. Only marginally. So, <laughs> the average person who knows nothing about fine wood instruments, it's the viola is a yep. little larger, just a little lower. The strings are different. Just yeah, give me exactly. that. What's the dummy lay person? Yeah,
3: exactly that. It's basically a violin that's tuned a fifth lower, and a fifth um, of what? A fifth like a like in a scale, like um, do re mi fa sol. It's it's tuned those five notes. It's okay. tuned five notes lower. Okay. Um And it's a tiny bit bigger, but it looks just like a violin. So that's basically that's basically. So the, so the average person wouldn't
1: know the difference.
3: Yeah, they wouldn't necessarily see it. it. But you have like a violin, a viola in the middle of that, and then a cello. So. So. And if a you're double bass, if you're that's... good at
1: the violin, are you good at the? I mean, good at the viola? Or are you good at the violin?
3: It can be. Uh, It has a little bit of a different action because the strings on the violin are are a little thinner. So it requires a, um, it's a different kind of hand almost. It's a, you have to have a lighter touch to it. Okay. Um, And then, you know, the spaces are smaller because it's a smaller instrument in the left hand. So you just acclimate. And I'm asking because... It's all proportional though.
1: (laughs) Unlike myself. I'm asking because... um,
3: Says the body builder.
1: Right. It, well, that's what I'm saying is that, well, actually, stop, pause there for a second. Pause. Because there was like more to your introduction. I kind of cut you short. You, you, like, you're like you Drew Ricciardi, a viola player, and...
3: And I work in uh, Pilates, uh, gyrotonic, and uh, Feldenkrais Rolf-based uh, movement practice called core movement integration. Thanks for keeping that brief. No. <laughs> <more kidding. laughs> ain't nobody got time for
1: that no, no no no. i'm just saying we have to tune this up a little bit because oh, i'm right, trying to get right. to this point about how we hold our body too long and then we suddenly have the viola player and you know and now we're trying to get to this you know body practice stuff so let's let's tune it up let's start first and foremost viola How how did that even come about how did you become a classical viola player
3: Okay, so I, I was six years old. I was six years old. I went to a friend's violin lesson. It sounded horrendous because he was six and he's playing on like a quarter-sized violin, which sounds like a dog whistle. So
1: yeah, basically at that age, like when children play instruments, it's really just to show the world that instruments exist.
3: Yeah, it's it's brutal. It's <laughs> the first ten years are pretty horrible, uh, but you hang in there because somebody loves you. You don't know why. Um, so yeah, the uh, it was it was shrill. And then she was like, "You know, the world needs more viola players." And I was like, "What's a viola?" And she said, "Well, it's lower than the violin." And I said, "Perfect! That <laughs> sounds great." And I grew up with a pretty artsy family. My dad's a contractor, but he loves him some opera. And uh, my mom, uh, my mom's an artist. She's an oil painter. So I started, I started taking dance classes like ballet, tap, jazz, um, and then went into musical theater. I did that from the age of about like six to probably twelve. And then I kind of, I don't know, the musical theater wasn't exactly doing it for me because I was like playing Beethoven symphonies on the weekend in orchestra. Yeah. And I was like, okay. this. Is- and
1: so you were finding yourself drawn toward the all art- things
3: creative. Yeah.
1: All right. And is that why your parents were like, get this kid into Opry?
3: <laughs> 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 yeah, totally. Totally. I'll, I'll go with that. I like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So, but that's what I'm saying. So, you weren't able to play contact sports. Were you an active kid? Like, did you want? You didn't even want to, though. There wasn't any weird no, no, latent no, desire. Interesting. No, not to so. Do when sports. did you start getting all jacked?
3: I'm. I, I don't consider myself. I know. To I know. But you've jacked. been working
1: out. You've been invo- like clearly you're involved with physical practice. So there had to have been a point where you started getting curious. I think that when you have
3: hyperlax ligaments, because you, this is going to be a little bit of a nerdy dive in,
1: and just as a heads up to you listening right now, he he's not getting it. It is about to get a little bit nerdy, and he throws a lot of terms around. I'll try to keep it paced. I'll try to keep this tuned up tightly so that you you don't get lost, but here's what he has to say.
3: When you have hyperlax ligaments, your ligamenture is your primary stabilizing connective tissue bone to bone.
1: Okay, let me pause there, just to bring it back down for dummies. He's talking about your skeleton and how like all the little things that hold it together, all the hooks and pieces that make the hinges, that's what ligamenture is. Everything that glues your skeleton together.
2: Okay, go.
3: So when that's not properly, when that's not adequately stabilizing your structure, your musculature has to fire secondarily, which means that there's, um it's a pretty heavy load on the nervous system constantly to be able to literally keep you in one piece.
1: Okay. Let's pause this again. What he's talking about here is like how your muscles obviously are what move your bones around and the bones are held together with all those little hooks and joints. Remember the ligamenture and what tells the muscles to move all those bones around those joints is the nervous system. Now, if all those joints are kind of gooey and wobbly, The muscles have to work twice as hard, like I said, and therefore the nervous system has to send way more messages, and the volume gets louder and louder, and it just gets more and more taxing on the body, and you get where this is going. Drew's body undergoes a lot more stress just because it has to do a lot more work to do the basic kinds of things you and I would take for granted.
3: Yeah, all the things, you know, like my whole entire life, I think about how I walk down the street all the time. Every time I walk, all the time.
1: Like you think about it, like strut, strut, strut. Or you think about it,
3: like, or
1: just in terms of like work with the knee, right. kind of thing. No, but yeah. is it like you think about it because it's like you could hurt yourself?
3: Yeah, because there? because it's really easy for me to roll an ankle or oh, for wow. my knees to knock or um or just for or for just
1: move, you could you could literally put on a backpack and dislocate a shoulder kind of thing.
3: I mean, yeah, I can. Oh, when I worked construction with my dad back in the day, I could overhead press something in a job, and I could my shoulder would uh, sublux; it would almost fully dislocate, but it would pop back in.
1: And this isn't some bad condition. It's not like he's glass fragile or something. I mean, it's not even a condition at all. It's just a happenstance of the body. It's just one way someone could possibly be born. And while hyperlax joints are certainly not common, it's also not some rare disorder or something. I mean, he's he's pretty normal. It's just he has a different kind of structure to his body.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a there's a spectrum. And I get, I require naps so that's oh i
1: see because it almost like it's a you, your body exhausts itself
3: right absolutely so that when i'm tired or i'm a little drunk and tired or you know if i'm <laughs> a little, often, if Drew? i'm a little stoned or something like that <laughs> where the nervous system has been depressed somewhat yeah. um i will get gooey like i my movement will start to feel my body will start to feel like it's kind of slipping and sliding like a little around ragdollish yeah a little ragdollish it's that's what it feels like
1: Is there any real surprise then that someone who has to always think about what he is doing with his body more or less all the time would eventually get uh, like curious to investigate what's up with how he moves? Like you're doing something right now. Maybe you're in one position or maybe you're moving, but you're doing something. But you just kind of, you know, you do it. You don't analyze it like Drew does. You just, well, you move around because the majority of us don't have to worry about rolling an ankle while just walking down the hall or dislocating a shoulder, picking up something our muscles could otherwise easily manage. But Drew doesn't have that luxury. And yeah, it's actually a luxury because of this hyperlax ligamenture. His joints can literally shift in ways far more radical than most of us do. Likewise, he gets tired quicker from the same amount of work. He needs naps more than the rest of us. Not that most of us wouldn't also maybe like a few more naps here and there anyway, you know, regardless. But let's tune this up. What happens when someone who moves differently than the rest of us is interested in doing something that typically requires, well, pretty specific movement? Something like, oh, i don't know let's say something like a deep passion for playing an instrument like a
3: viola maybe you know when i played viola for years and years that's such a there are a lot of things that go into that but it can be it can be taught often as sort of a very static stabilized against the movement practice
1: In other words, when someone, like say a kid who found joy in playing an instrument, gets taught how to play viola, that kid gets taught to do the same thing over and over and over. The same movements, repetitively. Strictly disciplined, over and over and over. You move this way. This is what you do with your body, what you have to do. Elbow here, wrist like this. Back straight. Over, and over, and over. And if you don't, you get taught. Force your body if you have to. Just do it better. Elbow, wrist, back, bow. Keep your posture like this. Force your muscles to move that way. Over and over and over. And if you can't, well then you must not be forcing your body hard enough. Because you really have to get it, you know, right. Just tune it up. You're also,
3: you're also just, you're so focused on, it's such a pressure cooker at that age when you're on a professional track to be a classical musician because there's so much competition, there's now less work than there ever was before, Um, it's, it's, you really just have to, you have to hang in there, you have, you have no choice because otherwise you will fail. And if you don't, you know, if you're not jumping into conservatories at the highest echelon possible, you're setting yourself up for a hard time. You could be practicing anywhere from three to six hours a day. uh, Which is a lot for ultra-fine motor control. And it's ultra-repetitive. Very repetitive. I think of it as sort of micro-athleticism. That's how I've always think of, thought of the instrument. So I went to school in New York for a couple of years at the age of 18, and then I went to school in Montreal. I transferred. The hope was to study with a teacher who had a better idea of how to, how to quote-unquote, set up a student. Basically, how to, how to um, give them like a physical framework of how to approach the instrument so that they can have better, you know, rhythm, intonation, and sound. Uh, this this was all about the hunt. My only objective was I, uh, I got totally blasted with a friend who's an amazing pianist in New York uh, one night. And I remember waking up on his couch and the room just happened to be bathed in light. It was so strange. It was so <laughs> strange. And I was a little hungover. And all I remember thinking was I'm just really sick of playing with pain. And I just want to learn how to play without pain. And... That was that I remember that morning. I don't know why. Um, after a case of Baltica, I don't know <laughs> why. And basically, I woke up on his couch and I was like, huh, I want to learn how to play without pain. So I started asking around and then I transferred. Um, I came from a family that supported me. You know, yeah. my folks were always super supportive of the, of the artistic process. And it's, it's a rocky, it's that is a rocky process sure. because that started me on what was, uh, a 14-year journey to finally just within the past six months be able to really theoretically understand what my mentor who I met two or three teachers down the road from there really taught me.
1: If we imagine what we think a classical musician is like, the first image that probably comes to your mind has nothing to do with hardcore athlete. But like Drew just described, at the level where a young person is striving their best to be a true professional, The physical pressure on the body is entirely athletic. Now, classical music has been around for a really long time. Maybe not as long as athletics have been around, but definitely enough hundreds of years that you'd imagine there'd be a lot of expertise around how to, you know, manage the body with such a physically grueling practice. Like what Drew had experienced in conservatory. You'd expect that there are known traditional ways to help the body of a musician become accustomed to this grueling athletic work it's going to have to do every day, day in, day out, week after week, month after month. Just like we all have things we do with our own bodies repetitively, whether we intended them to be repetitive or not. But ironically, while there are certain traditional ways to train a classical musician, those ways are not typically aligned with what you'd consider athletic physical training. And that's where things go a little out of tune. Here is this practice, classical music, that clearly requires a lot of stamina, truly athletic stamina, and can actually cause injury akin to athletic injuries. So the practice of classical music could really learn something from the long, long, long heritage of athletic training principles that we already know about. Imagine how much better musicians could play if they knew the practices that would make their bodies even more capable of playing at such a grueling level. Imagine if they just knew how to equip their body, prepare their body, with a framework to perform this repetitive movement better and better without the risk of hurting themselves unintentionally. I mean, imagine if we knew how to do that with our body in relation to what we repetitively do day in and day out. But the fact of the matter is this. As complex and focused as music education may be, there seems to be a huge gap around this idea of how to equip a musician's body via the framework of an athlete. I mean, if for no other reason, just to help that musician not break down in painful injury. The way Drew was breaking down. But right now, it's just not that way. Playing classical music and making sure the body is equipped to do so are just out of tune.
3: Viola really made sense to me when I understood it to be a movement practice whose byproduct was sound, as opposed to a sonic practice that required movement. (laughs) <laughs> whoa, whoa,
1: whoa. <laughs> I'm not that smart. Say that again, but way slower.
3: Okay, so it's a movement practice. So'm I'm, I'm moving my body. I'm doing you know, I'm moving through space. And the byproduct of that movement of the of the my body holding a bow and an instrument and the bow's rosined horse hair uh, gliding over the string, that act of that that friction and making the string vibrate, that byproduct just happens to be sound of that movement of my body with Interesting the apparatus.
1: philosophy, Because most people definitely do not think of instruments that way as a physical movement first that just happens to make a sound. And here's a less um, heady way to break it down. Imagine a ball on a string, not a big ball, maybe like an inch or so across, and make the string uh, like 15 or 16 inches long. You got a picture? Good. Now imagine twirling that ball on a string in a circle, and then just keep on twirling it, just spinning it around in circles, and then just kind of keep going, just hanging out, spinning that ball on a string, round in circles, round and round. Notice how this gets described as a physical movement, twirling a ball on a string. In your mind, it's just a movement more than it's anything else. But if you sped up and twirled it faster and faster, well, you know what's gonna happen. Eventually, the kind of whoosh sound it makes is gonna gradually become a consistent whirr, like a whole sound unto itself. Now, in our head, it's still just a movement, right? But the movement makes the string cut through the air, which coincidentally produces a sound. So you can think of that sound as the byproduct of a movement. Because your focus was on twirling the string, not on making a sound. The sound was just the coincidence, just the byproduct. And that's what Drew was saying. To imagine if we played instruments in the same way, where we just master a movement really, really well, and that's what makes the music better. Body first, the physical part first, as opposed to the way we typically think of playing instruments
3: as opposed to a sonic practice where I'm just going for sound and I happen to have to move to make that sound. That's often how it's really taught to us. Let's tune this up.
1: What are you doing right now? Yeah, yeah, this again. Other than listening to this show, what exactly are you doing right now? And whatever it is, are you thinking of it in terms of getting something done? Or are you thinking of it in terms of how you're moving while doing it? I mean, you're probably not thinking that way. You're doing whatever you're doing, driving or cooking or cleaning or walking or whatever, and the objective in your mind is probably just getting a thing done or, or making something happen. Driving to a place, cooking the meal, walking to a destination. You're just doing what you're doing, and most probably not at all thinking of it as, quote, a series of movements for which the outcome is the byproduct, unquote. We just think of the things we do in terms of what they produce, and not in terms of how we're moving
3: it's all a movement practice and when i understood finally that how you use a soap dispenser how you open the door how you swing a hammer like my 76 year old father can can swing the shit out of a out of a um out of a, a 12 uh, what is it the normal hammer size is twelve or sixteen ounces. Well, I mean, you know, my hammer is irrelevantly fucking so I idiot. wouldn't know. <laughs> the, the he, you know, he he learned how to um, frame houses back in the day when they had no nail guns. So it was literally you would you would take a nail, you'd set the nail one small hit, drive the nail second hit, and you have to do it that quickly. Set the nail. You know, drive the nail, set the nail, drive the nail, because you have to you have to frame a whole house. You have to put down sheets of plywood. Um, so th- there has to be, you know, in terms of what Feldenkrais would call resonance, there what? has to be an undulation of the entire structure where you're leveraging. What? Um, you're leveraging the entire structure into a movement, often from the femur, throwing it from, from the, the hip, femur the trochanter, which is the end of the, the trochanter.
1: Whoa, 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 whoa. OK, we, we're <laughs> really getting into the geek speak now. I mean, we got someone named Feldenkrais, and we're talking about femurs and bones. There's got to be a simpler way to say
3: this, Drew. That all movement comes from a fluid undulation of the structure.
1: So basically, if all the you know bones and muscles and, and the ligamenture are all kind of moving fluid and smooth and easy, well, that's going to cause the body the least amount of stress while doing whatever thing you're trying to do right now.
3: So if it's swinging a hammer, if it's playing the viola, whatever, it's about the entire structure undulating in a way to allow for minimal exertion of all soft tissue to complete uh, that action.
1: So getting the most out of what we're trying to do really relies on a coordinated movement of all the soft tissue. And there are the buzzwords. That should all be ringing a bell, because as we found out, Drew's body specifically doesn't quite move the way the rest of us do. You know, because of his hyperlax joints, his body can get out of sync with itself relatively easily, and that quote undulating rhythm unquote that he mentioned, well, that can very easily become rather random for him. He has to put more effort into that synchronized coordination than the rest of us might have to, and extra effort means extra stress on a body. And added stress can cause the pain that he was talking about. Which should kind of explain how a lifetime of passion for classical music has transformed into a passion for figuring out how we can all move better, more efficiently, and with less pain in our own everyday repetitive lives.
3: Uh, my, from about 11 to about 21 years old, uh, I constantly had pain in different parts of my body. Uh, you could say, um, sort of, uh, rhomboidy area, sort of. Psst.
1: Yo, the rhomboids, yeah, that's like uh, that's like right below the neck, just like inside the shoulder blade. But y- you can act like you knew that. Okay, okay, let's get back to this.
3: My, you know, my traps. Oh yeah, hey,
1: yeah, and, and the traps. Yeah, that's like the top of the shoulders. But uh, you can act like you knew that too.
3: Uh, both sides. I used to crack used to... my neck a lot. So basically, if I fast forward through all of this, I guess I I I think of the, what I do is like. Uh, integrative rehabilitative movement. Well, why didn't you introduce
1: yourself that way? <laughs> no, but
3: so you've evolved this method. You have this
1: integrative. Job of... Yeah. And... <laughs> don't hurt yourself. <laughs> and so I'm, I always do. I mean, I can't, I can barely say microphone. I it. <laughs> it's a good look. It's a good look. It's a good look. <laughs> right. So, I mean, maybe the better way to get a sense of it is, uh, for example, like, who do you work with? Who are your clients?
3: I work with people with any sorts of uh, any sort of a, um, orthopedic dysfunction. People pre and post joint replacement, uh, spinal fusions. Um, I like the neuromotor work. Uh, I've been working with people with uh, MS and uh, like stage three Lyme. When it gets to you know there's severe neuromotor dysfunction. Um, with instrumentalists, I actually end up teaching this spinal undulation work uh that's based in feldenkrais Rolf uh theory which I've actually just become part owner of it's called um it's the core movement integration training institute
1: that's right folks you saw it coming it's your favorite part of the big inside where it's time once again to drop some names and plug our guests shit so why not come on down to
3: it's called um It's the Core Movement Integration Training Institute.
1: And we'll show you how to move your femurs and drop names like Feldenkrais. That's right. Feel good. Have a better smile. Tell the kids. Because we're going to hawk our stuff and you're just going to love it.
2: Moshe Feldenkrais was born in 1904 in the Ukraine, living in several places across Europe during both world wars. His early adult life was spent in the sciences, particularly chemistry. For most of his life, he suffered from a chronic knee pain, from a soccer injury. That injury was frequently exacerbated during his time of war service. An analytical thinker, Feldenkrais sought to self-rehabilitate himself after the wars, delving deep into learning more about how our joints work and move. He borrowed extensively from his rich scientific background in physics, engineering, material arts, and his own scientific self-observational data. Feldenkrais evolved one of the most landmark methods of recovery through movement and exercise, the aptly named Feldenkrais Method. The Feldenkrais Method is a movement-based method grounded in brain-body integration with a deep influence from his roots in Hasidic Judaism. The Feldenkrais Method embraces psychological and even spiritual concepts in its methodology and has been taught worldwide, even beyond the death of Moshe Feldenkrais himself in 1984.
3: Um, I teach the core movement integration work as sort of a baseline spinal vocabulary that they can you know, then take to... Uh, string playing, but the string playing was really made better by Mela Tenenbaum, uh, who ended up becoming my teacher for the past 12 years now. <laughs> or ten, 10 years. When I look at, you know, yeah, she was, my, she was my viola teacher, like, that is what she taught me how to do better, but really what she did when I... When I was able to put it all together in the past six months, it, it was really to understand that she repatterned my nervous system using the viola as an apparatus. Mela did it all instinctually. She just knew how to play in a very resonant, easy, undulating way.
1: It was a way that was based in how she moved not based in trying to play music or force a sound out of a viola. Mela's methods allowed her to move her body in ways that were efficient, and the result of that efficient movement was that music just arose from the instrument she held. She was exhibiting that philosophy of movement that Drew was explaining to us earlier. What if we focused on how we move in order to tune up What we're doing with that movement
3: she just naturally she did that because she was in soviet ukraine back in the day her father was very sick um she she had to make money for her family at a very young age so at about five or six years old she started teaching the violin and i think that she because the best way to learn something is to teach it and she retained that process through her adult life and so she was in a very unique uh, place in terms of what she was doing occupationally at such a young age, she was able to retain what are the basically the fundamental principles of something as sophisticated as Feldenkrais, um, and she was she really applied that work in such an elegant way that it basic it's the basis of my entire bodywork practice, and whenever I do in, any instrumental work with people. It's the basis of my movement, breath practice. It's instinctual. Like we're meant to be resonant beings.
1: Women, resonant beings.
3: So, so resonant. If you think of like, uh, like the way, like locomotion of a snake, the way a snake travels through the grass in those s patterns and it ripples and it's absolutely fluid that's resonance of the entire structure and basically what it's doing is it's leveraging the bones into creating um, rippling that's exactly what we do we how do we undulate how do we wave our body how do we ripple it in core movement integration they talk about like swinging a hammer right you know how they always say, use the phrase, uh, old school phrase, like, throw it from the hip? Right? When you're performing an action. Well, like, yeah, means... you, you throw it from the <laughs> oh, hip. most things I do, I I'm throwing know, it get from that. the hip. I just, <laughs> Give me a coffee. Bam! <laughs> yeah, exactly. See, he's got it. I know. He's it, got know. it. Yeah. I'm resonating. <laughs> it's now. it.
1: Now, this is going to get uh, a little geeky again, but just roll with it. It'll tune itself up if you just pay close attention.
3: Basically, your greater trochanter is that bony nub on the side of your hip. It's the end of your femur. And your femur, is your thigh bone, that's the largest bone in your body. So it makes sense that in terms of mechanical leverage, the largest bone in your body should be involved in executing any action, like swinging a hammer. Because what you don't want to do is you don't want to localize all that exertion into the arm because it's so small it's the same problem you get as a string player you do that you know a few thousand times or in the case of a hammer where you actually have to use more force you do that a few hundred times and you'll get tendinitis so basically that the body the body is designed to uh ripple and spiral and undulate so it's like a whip so like the the end of the chain is the hand
1: so Think of that snake analogy again. Like the snake slithering on the ground. Think of how the snake's bones and joints and its ligamenture connect and how they kind of all work together to create this wave-like motion. The snake wants to go, so it's actually leveraging itself against whichever part is the most stable and moves forward. Slithering. Wave after wave, there's the resonance. Somehow there's the same degree of resonating ripple that happens in our human body, like to swing a hammer. Our body is designed to leverage against that big old femur. And just like the wave pattern of the snake, a sequence of moves flows through our spine, then out to our shoulder and elbow and wrist. And it sort of spreads out the force all throughout the body into this wave and thus alleviates the stress localized on the arm that's hammering. This is sort of how our body was meant to move. It's subtle, but that's actually kind of how we were designed according to Drew and all of his teachers, such that the weak parts leverage against the strong parts and execute movement as a coordinated ripple from the strong point outward that becomes, quote unquote, the movement. And apparently, this all might actually be pretty primal within us, like common to all animals that have skeletons. You can see that wave pattern blatantly in nature, evident in all sorts of other creatures, like in how a fish wiggles while swimming, or like how a dog's spine undulates up and down as they run, or in a snake slithering. The body always uses stronger points to leverage movement, and that's just how we were designed. But somehow, we don't even know this. I mean, it sounds actually exotic. And even if it's common, even if it is our primal design, it just sounds like a totally foreign way to move. Because the way we usually think of movement is in terms of a reason, a, a purpose. Because we need to type an email, or because we need to steer the car's wheel, or, or because we need to swing hammers. But apparently, all of that would be easier for us to do All the things we do every day and and probably whatever you're doing right now would all be easier if we could just coordinate better with how the body was best designed to move rather than only focusing on what the purpose of that
3: movement happens to be. We get deconditioned and because of cultural movement practices, we sit ourselves in cars, we sit ourselves in desks, uh, you know, we walk on completely flat level terrain, which is totally... Uh, you know, because our pelvis, our our ilia, our, our two our two big hip bones that our are fan shaped, sort of, yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah, our big our big fan shaped hip bones at our at our waist, right? So really, we're meant to balance one side of the pelvis to the other, in like a snake, in, like it, yeah, and alternating and then in spirals. But you can walk on flat surfaces in spirals of the body and it can actually become a resonant movement. It's just a different way of conceptualizing. So we we should
1: really... Right. And it's like that idea of resonating is like it's a conceptual tool to help us understand that really, like you said originally, as a viola player, I move through space with this object connected to my body. I just move through space and music emerges. And when I think of it like that, I, I, I play better music. Yeah. And I'm less injured by that music absolutely and i suppose this could cross over into the more pragmatic i i'm not driving a car I'm moving my body in this seated position and that's what makes the car stop and go. And then I don't yell at the person at the light or, or, you know, I'm not stirring a bowl with batter in it. I'm moving my body through space and from it at the end of this movement, there is this lovely batter and yeah, I can absolutely. bake a pie or yeah, whatever. Totally. I don't know anymore. All actions with the all body. actions or yeah. I'm not lifting a, a barbell. I'm not like say doing a bench press. I'm moving, and my back is against this pad and I'm moving my arms in such a way and I can free up momentum so that the weight goes up. And the result, is, so it's not so much lifting the weight at that point. It's resonating through the body until the weight moves. Yeah, and, and the core movement. Which is I, high intellect, but it's the ideas. Well,
3: no, about. but it, it. my job now as, uh, as an owner of the method, because I'm trained in larger integrative movement practices like Pilates gyrotonic, um, and I consider viola playing to be one of those as well. Uh, I'm now translating all of classical Pilates, hundreds of exercises, um, and I'm starting a translation project of weightlifting um, because all of these actions that we do can be translated into larger resonant movements which will ultimately allow us to achieve better results with less injury. And it's it's just to get all the bones working in a pathway they're all working to a similar aim and what happens is your nervous system registers the pathway of the bones it registers that this is the shape the structure is making some things will activate to scaffold that some things will sort of release and become more supple the structure is really the main event you don't build the house insulation first you start with the concrete and the studs and it's really about it's about making sure that the bones are in the optimal position to 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 allow the soft tissue body um, to evenly support it, because that's how we don't wear out our joints.
1: And wearing out joints is something that Drew knows a lot about. From when he was young, Drew has had to recreate what he's thought about moving the body, what it means. He's had to relearn how to move differently from how we're all taught. It's sort of almost like a giant rehabilitation project. Except it isn't rehabbing from, like, a major surgery or a profound injury. It was rehab that was it was more like... Um, it
3: means betterment.
1: Betterment. Yeah, a, a better way to move. A, a better way to swing a hammer. A better way to play a viola. A better way to do whatever you're doing right now
3: while you're listening to this podcast. Just trying to achieve maximum efficiency of movement, because then you have the highest probability of achieving joyful movement. That
1: sounds about right. But you do also kind of have to wonder if it's actually helped. Like reversing how you look at movement, you know, where you pay attention to the movement first and the music is just kind of the coincidence, the byproduct of the movement. Has seeing it that way actually made Drew a better viola player?
3: I thought I would suck not practicing much, <laughs> learning all this other movement stuff because I wouldn't have time to practice. Um, and you know, I mean i i started playing uh, I've started playing with a chamber orchestra in New York. I did a gig with Placido Domingo last. Uh, Spring, I played in an orchestra for Stevie Wonder a few years ago. Yeah, it's made me better than I ever was and where I ever thought I could be on the instrument, so I can't complain.
1: So what are you doing right now? Are you standing? Are you sitting? Is it something you do all the time, like every day for work? Or is it just something your body's up to right now? Whatever it is, Are you focused on the goal of the movement? Or are you paying attention to the most efficient way to move and letting the outcome resonate from that? Are you stressing your body and headed toward eventual breakdown? Or are you paying attention to how the body was actually designed and tailoring your movement to suit what your body was best designed to do? What are you doing right now? You know, there's a better way to do it. All you gotta do is tune it up. Thanks again for stepping inside the Big Inside. And of course, we'll be back again real soon to pluck the strings of everyday life in the third row center of the Symphony of Physique Sports. Ooh, we're going fancy with that one. And of course, uh, if you do appreciate all the work we put in, and and trust me, it's a lot of work. We'd be so grateful if you showed us. So, like, go throw some stars up, or, or better yet, write, write a little review, like a one-liner, on Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, or Google Play, or Anchor, or or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're, we're kind of everywhere at this point, Stitcher, wherever. And don't forget to click subscribe. Like, Don't just listen, don't just listen to an episode, actually subscribe to the show because that helps us. It help, helps other people find us, the more subscribers we get. So just subscribe, even if you never listened again, <laughs> I hope you do, but just hit subscribe and maybe then go tell a buddy, a friend. It's All this is quick and free, it's karma. And it's kind of awesome if you did, or better yet, Go be a real friend, become a favorite, and head over to patreon.com slash thebiginside. Become a patron of The Big Inside. I mean, we pretend this is art, and now you can too, starting at only two little bucks a month. Two little bucks. We really do rely on folks like you to keep independent work like this alive. Patreon.com slash thebiginside. Become a patron and join the roster of amazing listeners like Amy Cox, a.k.a. um, The Daylight Angel, who became a sponsor recently. Thanks, Amy. Oh, that's right. That's right, listeners. If you do become a patron, (laughs) you're going to get your very own AKA nickname given out right here, original on the air, totally unique, artisanal, just for you. Imagine that. You can join the AKA army. So join that AKA army, these amazing patrons, by becoming a subscriber to The Big Inside. I mean, you get a nickname, you help independent creators, everybody wins, and you get more great shows. It's, It's winning all around. And if you really love what you do or hate what we do we definitely want to know so contact us i mean forego everything and just become what we call a big mouth by dropping us a line through the there's a little form there go to the website the and and you'll be fine it'd be great if i could say my own website or leave a comment on any episode's show page at the or go to our facebook page at the facebook slash thebiginside inside we're you know we're everywhere we're ubiquitous we've always been in the air you breathe We just want to hear from you, talk back. And speaking of staying on the air, the little insider is up next, but first
4: this. The Big Inside is brought to you in part by Saise Sports. The world of strength and bodybuilding is full of hype, but big claims, bold statements, and bright spotlights aren't what makes these sports great. What sparks your passion is the ability to take your best and make it even better. And believe it or not, there's a word for that, Saise. Saise Sports is dedicated to improving the world of strength and fitness through innovative ideas, building local community, and delivering elite standard supplements, like their premier product, Rekt pre-workout formula. Rekt is not filled with hype and surprises. Read its label and you'll discover complete transparency, a product made of higher doses of ingredients than any other pre-workout on the market, and maybe in the world, at ratios backed by science and common sense. Discover why more and more strength and bodybuilding athletes aren't just trying RECT, but staying loyal to the product that may just be changing the world of lifting for the better, which is the SciSafe Sports mission. Learn more about RECT as well as learning about other missions SciSafe Sports is undertaking at www.sidesafesports.com. SciSafe Sports. It's your best. Reborn better.
1: Now, as you know, we like to end each episode of The Big Inside with what we call The Little Insider. That's where we take something that we have personally been up to or saw or just liked recently that was so good that we want to recommend it to you. Just a little curated nugget of an idea ripped off the folks who come onto our show. Basically, this is where we take something we recently did, we recently saw, we recently ate, or recently thought, or whatever, and then turn it into a cool recommendation for you guys to maybe go try, or do, or watch, or read, or whatever for yourself. So Drew, Drew, Drew Riccardi, Drew Riccardi, (laughs) oh my, what is your little insider for this episode? I just need
3: to think for a second. Yeah, think for a second. I'm on, like, brain overload right now. Um, You haven't done anything? Just work? (laughs) I'm just fucking working like a beast. Love my whiteboard. Do you recommend people get a whiteboard? Oh yeah, you always get have a whiteboard. <laughs> <laughs> I think being so self-directed for the past, like, for the past fourteen years, has taught me that it's it's all about being able to to organize your ideas and figure out how to figure out how to execute them piecemeal. And I think that you know, it's always good to remember that when you're trying to execute something, that you can do maybe you can keep. In the heat of the moment, you can keep maybe one, two things in your head, and you always gotta streamline your process and consolidate all the time. Like uh, I don't know, I use Trello a lot. Are you kidding me? That's awesome. The app Trello. Do you know Trello? I mean, of course, I know Trello, Trello? Is Trello. Genius little
5: card.
1: Yeah,
3: it. Yeah, it's. Uh, is that
1: your? Is that like? Have you been all over that lately?
3: Yeah, I've been. I've been using it like a motherfucker.
1: Is it helping? Yeah, it's great. Oh, it organizes great. everything, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, because I'm running. I'm. You I have, have to get used to it, but once you're used. Well, to it, no, but I, but I'm
3: I'm running the like the the core movement integration organization off of that. I have my viola practice of like Set. the notes I'm working on, and then all the different theory outreach. And so Trello is Trello there, helps, your go-to. Yeah. Trello awesome. and Google Drive, and you can run your whole life off your phone. That, that's that's the jam.
1: Awesome. That is exactly it. That's, that's how
3: awesome. it should be. Drew, you did it. No, so, you did it. I'm so hilarious. full of no, shit. <laughs> no, 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 no.
1: <laughs> Seriously, Jude, thanks so much. That was awesome. And that's the big inside. This episode was produced by the Physiculture Collaborative, who all suffer from lax joints, which is why they can't get up from the couch once they start binge-watching trash sci-fi. Guys, you're all gross. Music in today's episode was all Creative Commons licensed and created by Congress, uh, the band, not the political body. Kevin MacLeod, small Colin, and of course, the viola playing was all done by the maestro himself, Drew Ricciardi. Please check out all these genius artists online at places like Bandcamp and YouTube and SoundCloud and the like. Their work is not only incredible, some of them are also friends of mine. That's the workout for your ears this time around. I'm Christian Mady, a.k.a. XN for The Big Inside, reminding you that no matter what you do on your outside, what makes it big is what's found on the inside. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you later.
3: Would you? Listen to a goddamn episode, would you? I gotta, I gotta listen to it. What's it called? <laughs> the Little Insider or The Big Insider? This is the kind of shit
1: that, that makes The Big Inside great.
3: What's it, what's it called again? The Big, <laughs> The Big Inside, dude! Okay, okay. The Big Inside.
1: Oh my god, you memorized it. You can me- literally remember thousands Ghost. of notes of music literally. and you can't remember the name of literally a part. Literally all the time.
3: The Big Inside is also brought to you in part by Scorpio Creative. We all have big ideas from time to time. A new business, a cool brand, an amazing project. But how do we make those ideas come to life? And then, how do we get people excited for our ideas? Scorpio Creative can help you do all that and more. Scorpio Creative is a boutique, design, branding, and marketing firm that works with the little guys like you to make your ideas shine like the big guys. In a world full of impersonal and automated marketing and branding solutions, Scorpio Creative brings custom, personalized partnership for all your branding, design, and promotional projects. Why not give your business, your brand, or your mission the same treatment the big guys get at a fraction of the cost? Visit Scorpio Creative today at www.scorpiocreative.com. Let's bring your ideas to life.